Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. An Elio's original. Hello and welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite mysteries. Each week we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. I'm Ali Siegel and I'm so excited. Today we have the most special of special of guests, the man with the smoothest voice in podcasting. Dan Tana and also Rosie, who is wearing a Snuggie. Thank you. (laughs) It's actually a comfy. A comfy. Very different. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. If you're if you're snuggy, cozy, comfy, whatever, uh, and want to support our podcast, uh, please just do it because we would love to have you. Dan. Tell us a little, I mean, everyone knows you, but tell us a little about yourself. You have a podcast. What, what do you tell us? I mean, well, my social security number is. Yeah. um, What's your mom's maiden name? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. There's not much to tell. I, I'm just a person that really likes spooky stuff and talking about it, I guess, Um, and loves this podcast. And I'm so honored to be here and congrats to Melissa on the baby she had her baby and she is beautiful it's a real cute baby yeah it's a very cute baby you have your own podcast right or do you still have it or yeah we don't like consistently put out episodes but we do we do we actually just put one out pretty recently for for the season you know Um, but yeah it's called ghoul talk and i do it with my friend Lindsay. Uh, she used to be in Chicago, so we were also a Chicago podcast, but now she's in uh, Minnesota in like Minneapolis. So we just do it remotely and, you know, whenever the mood strikes us, 
no ads because we don't make any money <laughs> off of it. So it's, you know, it's Listen, just for the love. We do either. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not raking in that much ad right, cash. Right. Uh, Rosie, what about yourself? Tell us, tell us all things Rosie. Oh, well, I feel very honored to have been chosen to accompany Dan in their telling of this, um, this tale. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a podcast or anything. I have a lot of ideas. Well, get out. Get yeah. Out. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas for good podcasts, but, uh, I don't do them. I am a nanny. That's, that's mostly what I do. I, I hang out with babies all day long. I was going to say what age? A, an eight month old and, uh, almost three-year-old. She's going to be three this month. Wow. So like baby, baby. Yes. It's literally like the greatest job in the world. I love it so much. That's really beautiful. I've only held one baby in my entire life. <laughs> wow. Fun alley fact. I'm like terrified of babies. I would love to have children, but I want it to be born like age six. Yeah. Would you, are you going to get to hold Miss Ripley? I hope so at one point, but I'm honestly so scared. Like, with COVID and everything, like, I don't want to go near a baby, Yeah, you know, even though I know there's COVID testing and things like that. I'm just, I don't know. I'm, te- hi, Asher. I'm just like <laughs> terrified of everything, know, but yeah. I would love to hold Ripley. I'm just, I don't know. I feel like babies are made of jello. Like I'm scared. I feel like they're sturdier than you expect. Like yeah. I have like, I mean, yeah. you can't like drop them, but I feel like, okay. like <laughs> you can cut, like Don't they're a little it. bit more, they're, they're durable, you know, like okay. they're resilient, but I understand the fear. That. You might want to wait a couple months until she can hold her head up on her own. I think that that's what I want to do. I need to wait it out until like, it's a little easier for me. All right. Dan, Rosie. Take the reins from me. I'm done with this job. This is yours now. You are the captain now. Tell us, what is our episode about today? So, yeah, if you just want to check back in in like 40 minutes Yeah, I'm going to go clock out. I'm going to go walk the dogs, have some lunch, (laughs) take a shower. Um, So, yeah, this is like my pet thing that I've been obsessed with. Uh, I want to talk about the true story that inspired The Exorcist, the the film and movie. Um, Yeah. And just so everyone knows, I'm pretty sure there is a documentary about this on Discovery Plus. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't actually seen that. So I yes. should watch that probably. Bef- I should probably watch that before this. But. No, it's okay. And Snuggy, Discovery Plus, Comfy, if you're listening, we're all open to ad sales. Um, Pazuzu. Yeah, Zuzu, anyone. Pazuzu could sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> all right, get into it. Okay, yeah. So, um Yeah. Uh, In 1971, a writer named William Peter Blatty published a novel that would go on to terrify millions of people when it was adapted into the seminal 1973 film of the same name. The Exorcist scared the shit out of people famously, though possibly apocryphally, uh, making people faint and vomit in the theater, not just because it was a story about demonic possession of a child with uh, terrifying visual effects and vulgarity that was shocking to audiences at the time, but also because of five little words that accompanied most media coverage of the film when it was released. Based on a true story. God. Boats. Yeah, so... (laughs) And, you know, a lot of stuff says that, and 
to the author's credit, I don't think he really pushed that too much. But when people found out that that was the case, they really like. Yeah. So that's, you know, not that I really feel the need to be fair to William <laughs> Peter Blatty, but, um, you know. Yeah. So, but I was always interested in this because I heard a lot about it growing up uh, where I did and and wanted to know what the true story was behind it and how it differed from the novel and the film. And, and, and also what I later found out was how the supposedly true story that had been told for decades was actually later found out to be incorrect in many ways, too. Oh, shit. So, yeah, let's get into it. You know, fun fact before we get into it is one of my parents first dates. <laughs> was to actually the exorcist movie. No. Oh my god. Yeah, and they told me they told me they were so scared after they saw it that they slept in my dad's like living room on the couch with all the lights on cuz they were too afraid to like go in the bedroom and like sleep in the dark. They were that afraid after seeing this movie. So this was a real thing. Like people mm-hmm. were terrified when right. this came out. Allie, have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. And it it stands Cuz I up. have not seen it. Oh, my God. Well, there's a few. It goes off the rails. Yeah. Like, Exorcist 3 is one of the craziest, bizarre movies. Have you seen Exorcist 3, Dan? No. I, only the original one, yeah. It, it goes off the rails, but Exorcist 1 is fantastic. Yeah, I had an ex who was, like, like watched it at too young of an age. She watched it when she was, like, mm-hmm. seven or eight or something. And you know how you, you have that movie, and then it's like, okay, I'm never watching that again. Yes. She was, like, a film studies student and one of her classes was gonna watch the exorcist and she was like i have to call in sick that day like i can't go i can't go see it yeah, she dropped the class oh. yeah yeah <laughs> she wouldn't watch the exorcist yeah oh my god yeah it's a interesting date movie choice but you yeah know. probably not a good date movie yeah and this i feel like great segue into talking about the plot synopsis just for people who haven't seen it like rosie yes. i will say that like <laughs> it's stories on it, the center oh man this is good stuff uh the story <laughs> <laughs> centers on the mcneil family who are living in georgetown which is a neighborhood in washington dc the mother is named chris and she's played by ellen bernston she's shooting a movie in georgetown uh, and for some reason, there's a Ouija board in this house and her daughter, Reagan, who's played by Linda Blair, starts playing with it. And then they start having noises and weird stuff in the house. She thinks there's rats in the attic. Uh, and then Reagan begins acting very strangely. And it turns out that she's possessed by a demon named Pazuzu, future sponsor, hopefully. Yes. And um, Chris, the mother, enlists the help of these two priests from Georgetown University, Father Karras and Father Marin. Uh, who is the titular exorcist. And then Mm -hmm. that's, you know, and then they they do their thing. And so Blatty would go on to tell interviewers that he was inspired to write this novel as an undergrad at Georgetown University when he saw a story in the Washington Post about a local boy who had been haunted and subsequently had an exorcism performed on him. And that was published in August 20th of 1949. So that news story that inspired this story itself contains several erroneously reported facts that became the sort of bedrock for how the true story of The Exorcist was told for decades, both locally and nationally. And, you know, I'm like, I'm a insufferable, pedantic history person. So like, I yeah, feel you the need are. to really, you know, get into the, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read your whole document yet, but do you get into who Pazuzu is? Because I just googled no no so yeah and that's that's part of it like pazuzu was is 
totally i mean he's not an invention of blatty obviously it's based on a real deity but uh pazuzu was never um implicated in the irl possession (laughs) he's fully innocent i don't want to you know slander his good name innocent get into any legal trouble yeah (laughs) yeah pazuzu don't don't sue us or anything like that um, so it, just us. to let everyone know, it says Pazuzu is an ancient Mesopotamian. Okay, let's try this again. Pazuzu is an ancient Mesopotamian deity. Um, he's a wind demon, a fart demon. Yeah, I know. I was going to he, say he's got he's, that idea. Yeah, yeah, he's a fart demon. Um, and it says... Uh, he has many connections to other wind deities. Like, is he bad? What's his? I was going to say, how many wind deities are there? Apparently, a lot. They had their priorities straight. I know. Seriously, uh, he has two chief aspects. First, firstly, as a demon of the home, as a domestic spirit, hmm. and then it talks more about the wind. So I don't know. Like, Stay he's really demon. into wind. Yeah, he's he's an indoor kid. So Pazuzu's an indoor kid, and his yeah. favorite weather is the wind. Windy. Okay. Continue. All right. <laughs> he well, likes long walks on the beach. He's a Taurus, ooh. and he, he likes the inside and the wind. Yeah, there's a yeah. You get to see him for one second in the movie. I think. So yeah. Look out for that if you watch it. Um. So yeah. So so this original reporting did get some facts right. That it, it did indicate that the the real story didn't actually take take place in D.C. Um. Mm. It was shot on location there. There's this famous filming location there called the Exorcist Stairs, um, which is where the well, I guess I shouldn't say what happens in case spoilers, but there's some stairs uh, there. And if you, ha- you could do spoilers for The Exorcist. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, movie. yes, like that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's probably, it's more like 40. Yeah. Way more than that. Wait, anyway. what year did you say it came out? 73, I think. Yeah, th- that's 50 years next year. Oh, no, no <laughs> yeah, because you- I'm not that old. Because <laughs> my parents were born in 1970 and they're yeah. 52. You're like, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Like, yeah. it came out yesterday. In case you're <laughs> planning on watching it. Spooky season this year. Um, so, so, but so the real story actually took place outside of DC in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is where I grew up and where I currently live. Don't dox me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, and so so it was just something that like as a kid, I was also raised Catholic by like very religious parents. And so like, you know, like it's just like one of those things that I feel like I was constantly being told about, like way before I ever saw the movie. It was just like this thing that had happened very close to home while my parents were alive and, you know, all this stuff. So that's how I became uh, obsessed with it, I guess, and like have made yeah. it my my personal hobby to tell everybody who will listen about this <laughs> about story. The and, yeah, and try to correct the record a little bit too, and and whatnot. Um, yeah, this, so, this is your cause. Yeah, yeah, this is the only thing I live for. So, like, after <laughs> yeah. this podcast, I will probably You're just the, yeah. the wind demon will sweep me away into yeah. dust. You know. Yeah. Um, so for 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 reasons that are unclear, the author of the story that was cited as as the inspiration stated that this kid and his family lived in this municipality called Mount Rainier, which is also in Maryland, in Prince George's mm-hmm. County. So that's what we were all told growing up. Um, and then, you know, years later, after the films become a cultural phenomenon, other people start looking into this, you know, the truth behind The Exorcist. There was an article written by a guy named Steve Erdman in 1975, and he based much of his article on this alleged diary that contained firsthand accounts of 
the exorcisms uh, by one of the priests. Um, so in this article from 1975, um, the boy who had not been named in the 1949 Washington Post article was referred to by a pseudonym. They called him Roland Doe, uh, mm. which is kind of it's kind of a funny pseudonym because um, later on, when I tell you what his real name is, it's like really not that far from it. Oh God, so it's kind really of funny. funny. Um, <laughs> Ballison Beagle. That's right. <laughs> Boland Doe. Um, but yeah, so they refer to him as Roland in the diary. And that's what I'll use for most of this, just because it gets confusing mm-hmm. otherwise. So Roland, the kid who was possessed, was said to have been born on June 1st, 1935, and lived in Mount Rainier with his mother, father, grandmother, and they were all Lutheran. They were like German immigrants and Lutheran. Mm. Um, According to Erdman, who wrote this 1975 piece, uh, Roland's possession by an invisible entity began shortly after he and his aunt Tilly began experimenting with a Ouija board in January 1949. So check mark one point for accuracy. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Never, never, ever will I touch a Ouija board. I swear to God, like I just won't do it. Growing up, my like I would go to sleepovers and this one girl had one of the like, you know, like the pink one that like they sell at Toys R Us. Yeah, (laughs) she had that. And we would ask it like, does Nathan have a crush on me? And it would be like, yes. And we would all be like, "Ah." (laughs) Um, for sure, bestie. Yeah. But the type of stuff that we were probably I that that's a regret of mine. I shouldn't have been there. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's so scary. And for those of you who haven't seen it, there's a great uh, Ouija board video on our web crawlers YouTube of uh, Melissa and I uh, playing with a Ouija board. So to good. Disastrous results <laughs> for me. <laughs> I will say not to give that away, but I really yeah. was not sure what was going on. I was like, what is this? And then uh, I finally was like, oh, OK, I see what's going on. Me it either. Good. It was good. Yeah, I was not sure what was going on either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably be pretty mad about that. It yeah, really it was about handled news. it well. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So the eventual possession was preceded by a period of "quote unquote" poltergeist activity that began shortly after they started using the Ouija board on January fifteenth of nineteen forty nine. Um, and the kind of things that they were experiencing was that they they heard a dripping noise in Roland's grandmother's bedroom. Um, and then a picture of Christ on the wall of the same bedroom uh, started shaking, and they heard scratching noises under the floorboards for ten consecutive days from seven p.m. until midnight. Oh God! Yeah. I hate so the that. Day, yeah, yeah, it's I'm not great. Not into it. It's not no. great. <laughs> the day after the tenth consecutive day, which was January twenty-sixth of nineteen forty-nine, Aunt Tilly died of multiple sclerosis at the age of fifty-four. Mm. So uh, Roland's mother at first believes that the haunting first of the house and then of her son might have something to do with Aunt Tilly's death, which I I don't really understand that because it seemed like it started before she died. But yeah, you know, I don't know. So but just throwing that out there, it was not again, Pazuzu innocent. Um, It was maybe Aunt (laughs) Tilly or Satan. That's the best that we those are the best leads that we have at this time. Our leading suspects. Yeah. and so she would try to communicate uh, with with Aunt Tilly sometimes oh, when, when this possession was going on. Um, and I'm just going to read a long quote here. At one point during the manifestations, Mrs. Doe asked, If you are Tilly, knock three times. Waves of air began striking the grandmother, Mrs. Doe, and Roland, and three knocks were heard on the floor. Mrs. Doe again queried, If you are Tilly, tell me positively by knocking four times. 
Four knocks were heard, followed by claw scratchings on Roland's mattress. So, you know, doesn't sound great. (laughs) Yeah, no thank you. Yeah, but... um, So after this, you know, uh, it was mid-February, I think, Roland's mother arranged for a local Lutheran minister to have him, uh, Roland, spend the night at the parsonage for observation. You know, it was a different time back then, because when I'm thinking about, like, what I can do to keep kids safe, like, having a sleepover with a priest is, like, not (laughs) near the top of that list at all. But Yeah, I'm sorry, not to be stupid, but what's a parsonage? I guess it's like a, like a... I think I know I think Catholic priests live in like a rectory. Yeah. And so I assume it's like that, but So it's like a church Lutherans? place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Um so the reverend when this was happening at their at their kick-ass slumber party, um he reportedly <laughs> heard scratching noises and witnessed the bed vibrating, uh the tipping over of a chair that Roland was sitting in and the movement of a pallet of blankets upon which Roland sat, which like is that I I don't know. That just sounds weird to me, but but yeah. I'm reading it verbatim. What? So whatever a pallet of blankets. Yeah, I was is. gonna say a pallet of blankets. It's something they keep I, at the parsonage, I guess. Yeah, I Pedantic know. of me, but <laughs> Yeah. I um on February twenty sixth, scratches or markings started to appear on Roland's body for four consecutive nights, after which they evolved into words that seemed to be scratched in by claws. And this part, the words part, only occurred uh, when Roland was in the room with just his mother. It never happened in front of anyone else, supposedly. Oh. Interesting. I know. Moms. That's yeah. terrible. That makes Moms, me so right? sad. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was at this point that the family crossed the Christian sectarian Rubicon and first consulted with a Catholic priest, which was uh, Father Albert Hughes of nearby St. James Catholic Church in Mount Rainier, Maryland which is where they supposedly lived. That church also is allegedly haunted. I, I was told I like was in a friend of mine's quince in like, like eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever. And the rehearsals for the dancing were held in the basement of St. James and everybody was telling us it was haunted. So just, so you've been, you've been there. Yeah, I have. I have. Did yeah. it feel haunted? I don't know. Everything feels haunted to me, you know, spooky little bitch. You know? <laughs> when you're haunted inside, everything right. feels haunted. Yeah. Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Thank you. So this, this priest, Father Hughes, uh, advised them to light some candles, maybe sprinkle some holy water around, which like, it's honestly kind of yeah. hot girl shit. So like, Yeah, that sounds like a really nice self-care <laughs> <Yeah>. evening. <laughs> yeah. Draw a bath, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any bath bombs? Yeah. So then this is where things start to escalate and we're no longer limited to just events within the house anymore. And this is where I want to give a big shout out to uh, an award-winning local historian named Mark Opsaznik, um, who I will gush about him later on. But a lot of what I know about this is because of him and like the, the tons and tons of work that he's done on it. Um, he's He's great. Yeah. So... This is a quote, something he wrote. Roland's mother claims that she was using the blessed candles when a comb flew across the room and extinguished them. At different times, fruit flew across the room, a kitchen table turned over, milk and food moved moved off a table, a coat and its hanger flew across the room, a Bible landed at Roland's feet, and a rocker in which Roland sat spun around. Roland was removed from school because his desk moved around (laughs) on the schoolroom floor. I just am like the fact that he was in school the whole time that this was happening, like up until now is like, so we treated children so poorly. (laughs) 
my god. No, he gives them a break. I actually saw, like, this has nothing to do with this episode, and we won't have to get into it at all. But I saw on Twitter yesterday someone post, like, that their school sent home a message. Did you see this, Rosie? Yes. I saw that, and then I learned that – okay, well, you finish what you were saying first. (laughs) Okay. So I I don't think I saved it, but it was, like, this woman was, like, my school sent home this thing that if your kid – has a fever or sore throat or lice or glandular like, fever yeah, glandular and tonsillitis fever and tonsillitis that they still have to go to school. Um, that it's yeah, not fuck a, it. yeah, yeah. So I guess like they can add possessed by a devil to that, what? that like there's no excuse to not go to school. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's the list that you can send your kid to school with. You are allowed to send your kid to school if they have athlete's foot, cold sores, glandular fever, head lice, tonsillitis, cold or cough, headaches, and sore throat. Cool. (laughs) So what can you give them home for? Like, Yeah. It says only only GI symptoms. Uh... They want no wind demons it's like a in jacuzzi. There. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to schools, just jacuzzi rules. Exactly. <laughs> jacuzzi rules. 48 hours. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, God. Gross. We put our children through so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like when mm. I was little, like there were no rules as it came to missing school. Like right. sometimes it'd just be like ice cream and pizza day at home. Like, yeah. You don't feel like going to school. And now it's just like, if you don't go to school, we will kill you and we, your family. We have gotten in trouble, like for keeping our kids home. And like, insane. they're like, yeah, we're going to call someone on you. And it's like, like truancy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's insane. It's, it's yeah. nuts. Ugh. Anyway. You Anyways, know, well, okay. Roland, Roland is at school. Possessed Roland's as hell. at school. <laughs> not, not having active diarrhea that we know yeah, of. He's possessed by a demon, um, you know. And uh, so, so Roland's mom surpri- supposedly tried this holy water trick at some point, and when she was done sprinkling it throughout the house, she put the bottle down on a shelf and watched it fly across the room by itself. The diary also claims that attempts were made to baptize Roland into Catholicism during a several-day-long stay at Georgetown University Hospital, which, not to brag, but I have had both a colonoscopy and endoscopy there because Pazuzu ain't the only windy one, you know (laughs) I got problems. You're going in both ends. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I got, like, spit roasted by a doctor. (laughs) Cool, oh I guess. Oh my god. Cut that <laughs> out. So <laughs> I got spit roasted by a doctor. <laughs> and I paid them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Take me out to dinner first, <laughs> am I right? Uh, they gave me apple juice after, I think, when I was coming out of the propofol haze. So yeah. Something. Oh, sweet. You know, yeah. I've had a colonoscopy before and an endoscopy. I I've think. only had an endoscopy. Oh, yeah, we're so girls with issues. You haven't lived. <laughs> yeah. You haven't lived. <laughs> yeah. No podcast or colonoscopy? Jesus I know, Christ. I'm missing out. <laughs> um, so apparently when they tried to 
baptize him, he responded with rage, which I also think is fair because that's how I respond whenever my parents ask me if I'm going to baptize my kids, you know. So, like, I get it. I get it, you know. This hospital stay is also where the first attempted exorcism took place, administered by Father Hughes of the haunted parish in Mount Rainier. So it's a lot of names to keep up with, and I apologize because... It's okay. You know, I didn't I didn't make this story up. I'm just telling you the facts. Um, <laughs> the hospital initially tried to help Roland in the psychiatric department, but after they failed to improve his condition, Father Hughes was called in to perform the exorcism. Uh, during the process, Roland allegedly ripped out a bedspring and slashed the priest's arm with it. The exorcism ended unsuccessfully, and Father Hughes supposedly went into a long period of seclusion afterward, kind of like Yoda. Yes. Um, This is like the Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Um, This is where the true story gets less interesting to me because the rest of it is said to have happened in like St. Louis, Missouri, primarily beginning in March of 1949. But I feel like Mm -hmm. I should finish telling it. Oh, yeah. Um, But so anyway, uh, at this point, a couple of Catholic priests named Father Bishop and Father Bodern were brought in to turn up the heat on whatever entity was torturing Roland. On March 11th, 1949, the following was said to have occurred. Uh, After Roland retired at 11 p.m., Father Bodern read the Novena Prayer of St. Francis Xavier, blessed the boy with a relic, which was a piece of bone from the forearm of St. Francis Xavier, which, like, relics is, like, a whole other crazy thing that could probably be an episode. (laughs) Like, it's nuts. That's, like, really metal. Yeah, it's just body parts all over. Like, that's Um, hardcore. There's one thing I like about Catholicism. It's like the weird spooky goth stuff that they do. Yes. (laughs) They're really weird. Um, So they fix this relic-encrusted crucifix under the boys' pillows. The relatives leave. Father Bishop and Father Bodern depart. Soon afterward, a loud noise was heard in Roland's room, and five relatives rushed to the scene. They reportedly found that a large bookcase had moved around, a bench had been turned over, and the crucifix had been moved to the edge of the bed. After after the shaking of Roland's mattress uh, came to a stop, only when the relatives yelled, Aunt Tilly, stop! So, you know... Again, you know, cut it yeah. out, Aunt Tilly. Tilly. Aunt Tilly, stop. <laughs> Just five days later, the Archbishop gave Bodern the green light to begin the formal rite of exorcism. That night, Bishop Bodern and this other priest, Father Walter Halloran, started the exorcism with some prayers. This exorcism went on for weeks, well into April. Throughout this time, they were moving Roland back and forth between a relative's house, a rectory, and the Alexian, brother, Alexian Brothers Hospital. Um, as the priests attempted to successfully complete the rite of exorcism, there were outbursts featuring excessive cursing, vomiting, urinating, and the use of Latin phrases, which he couldn't Mm. speak Latin, so that was unusual. Later, Roland was transported back to Maryland for a short visit, and on one of the train rides uh, back or forth from from Maryland to uh, Missouri, he became maniacal, striking Father Bodern in the testicles and yelling, that's a nutcracker for you, isn't it? (laughs) And I gotta say... (laughs) For 1949, that's like a pretty good bit. Like, that's, yeah, he that's sounds like just comedy. like a really funny kid. Yeah, yeah I like to think I he like did him. like a little wackety schmackety dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like danced himself off. You know? yeah. So finally, on April 18th of 1949, over a month later, the exorcism succeeded. Mm. And this is another big quote from Mark Absasnik. As the nighttime ritual continued, Father Bowden first Roland forced Roland to wear a chain of medals and hold a crucifix in his hands and demanded to know who the demon was and when he would depart. Roland responded with a tantrum and screamed that he was one of the fallen angels. Bodern kept reciting until 11 p.m. when Roland interrupted. In a new masculine voice, Roland said, 
Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael. I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave this body in the name of Dominus immediately. Now, now, now. Roland had one last spasm before falling quiet. He is gone, Roland pronounced, later telling Bodern that he had a vision of Saint Michael holding a flaming sword. Twelve days later, he left Missouri and returned to Maryland. So, that's the story, as it was originally known. This story gets embellished in the early 80s, you know, after the movie's been out for a while, with two articles in a local paper called the Prince George's Sentinel. Um, In 1981, an article by Spencer Gordon called uh, The Exorcist, The Real Incident, involved a Mount Rainier priest in 1949, which is not a... not a compact headline, um, yeah. was, it was accompanied by this photo of an empty corner lot identified as the former site of Roland's family home on Bunker Hill Road in Mount Rainier, with the additional context in this article stating that the house had burned down several years ago. So um, this like little taste of information led people in the, in the area to speculate about where exactly this house had been and what exactly had happened to it. And then three years later, a local journalist um, named Brenda Cagliano um, wrote a a, a little color piece. One of us. She writes this piece for Halloween in 1983 about, like, she just kind of builds on the legend, interviews some locals, asks them what they remember about it. Nobody could remember the boy's real name, but the article puts this pin in the map and gives the address of 3210. Bunker Hill Road in Mount Rainier, Maryland. And that's, that is where the lot had been that was pictured in the 1981 article. So by the time Ooh. I'm like this sentient little spooky dork in the 90s, this legend has been like, you know, really festering and percolating. And like, you know, it's just it's everywhere. And like, if you are the least bit into ghosts, like you will hear this legend and probably yeah. even if you're not. Um and then there's this resurgence in the legend around the 25th anniversary of the movie. And like, I just remember people started to talk about it again. And like my mom was would like she claimed that her mom, my my abuelita, knew Roland's mother and would like cut her hair because she was a, she was a professional hair cutter stylist. And so, like, you know, it was this thing where it's like, oh, these were community members that people knew, you know, like, and so it became this very real thing to me. It made me feel very afraid (laughs) because, like, yeah, you know, Um, and she couldn't remember the name either, which is weird. But then um, the the pianist from the church choir that I used to sing in, which is not, you know, worth stop it. Yeah, (laughs) it's terrible. Um, That's another episode. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, she took a few of us to see this this fabled lot where the house had been, and uh, I think it was in 1998, like around Halloween in 1998 after church one one Saturday. And when we got there, I saw this white gazebo that had been built sometime in like the late 80s or early 90s on the vacant lot. And this woman proceeded to give me the rest of the details as they were popularly known, which included that the house had been there, and after the exorcism, the family left, and then a little while later, there's the house burned down under these mysterious circumstances, like possibly demonic circumstances, uh, and then the town eventually constructed a gazebo there to sort of distract from this demonic legacy of the site and keep people from looking for it and stuff like that. So, um, And I remember standing there, you know, and I was... 14 or whatever and like getting like goosebumps being like oh fuck this is where it happened like i can yeah. really feel that <laughs> it's not at all where, where it happened. <laughs> oh my god that's really funny um, yeah and i went home that day and that was i think the first or second time i had ever seen the movie and i was very scared so yeah none of that stuff was true this is where mark Upsasnik comes in in around 
the year 2000, this absolute legend took it upon himself to like uncover the facts of this case by doing actual like historical research, you know, newspaper, historic newspaper searches, deed records, all this stuff. And in the process of fact-checking the legend, he also debunked it a fair amount. Um, it turned out that the Doe family had actually lived in another uh, suburb, which is called Cottage City. And Cottage City, Mount Rainier, Brentwood, Hyattsville, like all these, they're, they're all like within a couple of miles of the D.C. border. Like it's a really compact um suburban area. So he was in Cottage City. The only link to Mount Rainier was via St. James Catholic Church, which is actually where the priests really were from. Um, And then he actually did go to Georgetown University Hospital. We don't know if he actually had an attempted exorcism there or not. Avsaznik also found out the identity of the boy and interviewed several people who had been neighbors, friends, and classmates of his. He published the results of all of his hard work, including an interview with Roland himself in a five-part article in Strange Magazine called The Haunted Boy of Cottage City, The Cold Hard Facts Behind the Story That Inspired the Exorcist. And then he later expanded on this in 2007, I believe, in a book called The Real Story Behind the Exorcist. So, um... At the time, uh, Absaznik, like in 2000, he was very careful not to like dox this kid, never gave the name, didn't show photos of him by himself to respect his privacy. Like he included a a yearbook photo of his class, but he didn't point out which kid was was him, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But because this person is no longer alive, I feel comfortable saying that his real name was Ronald Edwin Hunkeler. Uh, The family lived at 3807 40th Avenue in Cottage City from 1939 until 1958. So they didn't really they didn't really move away immediately after it happened. The house still exists. It's still there. uh, And I make like everyone who's dumb enough to get in a car with me in the month of October go there. Usually like um, what I remember when I started grad school, just being like, hey, new people, I don't know. You guys want to see the exorcist? (laughs) Y'all want to see a dead body? (laughs) And yeah, and I have... um, He's handsome. Yeah. For the for the, Ooh. Yeah, the Patreon. Patreons, you know, you can see this little okay. This is a few years after the exorcism, obviously. But um yeah, so Oh, he's looking good. He's looking demon free and fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know. You got that wind out of him. He took us some some yeah. uh, <laughs> Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The mysterious burning of the house on Bunker Hill Road that is where the gazebo is now was uh, actually completed by under the supervision of the University of Maryland Fire and Rescue Institute um, with the cooperation of the Mount Rainier Fire Department. So there was absolutely no mystery to that at all. Like there wasn't (laughs) it wasn't like we got to burn this place down to get rid of the devil. It was just like, you know, this is a rundown house that has nothing to do with this story and we'd like to burn it down to train firefighters. And that's what they did. No written record was kept of the alleged exorcism attempt by Father Hughes at Georgetown University Hospital, but it was uh, verified that that Ronald Hunkler was admitted there uh, under his real name on the morning of February 28, 1949, and then released at noon on Thursday, March 3rd, 1949. So that's, you know, he really was there that, you know, there's yeah. there's bits and pieces of the truth in that in that tale. But there's no evidence to indicate that while he was there, he like slashed the priest's arm. A lot of people that that Mark Obsasnik interviewed said that they remembered him being completely fine and normal and, you know, coaching his CYO sports as usual, you know, during that time period. So like never showing up with an injury or having to call in sick or something like that because he had been slashed by a possessed, you know, child. Obsasnik also (laughs) interviewed Father Halloran, who was involved in the St. Louis exorcism in 2000. Um, And he kind of poked and prodded at it. He was trying to get the, the priest to sort of talk about anything that really anything really unexplainable that he couldn't, uh, you know, that he had seen. And the only thing that Halloran could point to was that he said he saw a bottle slide from a dresser across the room when there was no one near it. And he saw the bed moving and then he kind of trailed off. And Epsasnik mm-hmm. followed up with some other stuff and asked him about the spitting, the urinating, the vomiting. And that was, you know, supposed to have just been nonstop, right? And the response was pretty tepid. The priest just said, well, you know, the spitting was frequent, but it wasn't significant. There wasn't any vomiting or urinating that, urinating that I can recall. So, you that know. I can recall. You'd well, remember. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember every time, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I know when the last day I threw up was because I. Oh, yeah. 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 No, if somebody threw up around me, like right. I can remember, I could give oh, you a uh-huh. list of every kid that ever puked at school when I was growing up. Cause I am Do like, it. I don't go next to, I don't, yeah. I don't hang out with them anymore. Name them and shame them, Rosie. Yeah. yeah. You're exclusive. I feel bad. Thrown up on Rosie. Yeah. Oh, not even on me. Just, just near in you. The just in the same room. I'll tell you, actually, uh, I was at Universal Studios on Thursday and we I was on the uh, literally the tram ride Uh that just goes through Universal Studios and and like shows you. Yes. And the the woman in front of me was throwing up. No. Yes. But and okay, but here's what's weird, though. She had a barf bag with her and there's not there's not barf bags on the tram. She came prepared. So I'm like. 
then I felt like that's one empathy. of my IBS sisters out there. Yeah, you know? no, <laughs> yeah. I like felt empathy because I was like, oh, this this woman has a condition. She just must be a barfer. Yeah, some yeah, people yeah. are just pukers. Yeah, mm. but I was like, oh my, and barf is my biggest phobia. Me too. The whole time, yeah, the whole time I was like in my boyfriend's shoulder, just being like, oh yeah. my god, yeah, oh my god. Yeah. And it's an hour long ride. Oh or it's, it's, so yeah, it's just like I would have been crying. Miserable. Yeah, Ugh. it was so bad. It was so bad. But I mean, I hope that girl's feeling better. But yeah, it was so someone I two, three days ago was the last time I saw someone barf near me. Yeah. Go. Oh, that's recent. Yeah. 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 I know. I'm fresh. I'm still recovering. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> he also asked the priest about the marks on his skin and all this stuff. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I saw some marks right on the skin. It wasn't the boy doing him doing it himself as far as I could see. And then he asked him if he had ever seen legible, you know, letters, numbers or words. And the priest just said, oh, it's kind of hard to tell. So, um, you know, not a lot of like hard evidence for this possession. Halloran also claims that he burned the diary. Um, that was the source for the 1975 article that he had the last copy of it and burned it. So like, yeah, if you can't tell by this point, um, a lot of the off, uh, information that Upsaznik turned up from his research made him feel pretty skeptical that the kid was ever possessed at all. And, you know, as much as I like I feel like I want to believe in all of this stuff all the time, but I also want to be skeptical, too. So, like, yeah. I'm kind of, I don't know, you know, but um, I don't know how much time we have left, but I have some accounts from his neighbors and stuff that were interviewed. There's no too, time but... limit. Okay. Go oh. off. Okay. <laughs> so he interviewed a couple of his friends, uh, like one of whom was described as being his best friend, uh, like in, in, in material from the 1940s this kid was identified as being his best friend so mm. um i don't know he, he got in he found some people who were, were pretty close to this kid at the time that this was all happening and kind of questioned them and their memories of it which i thought was really interesting alvin kagi whose parents frequently played canasta with the doe family uh <laughs> described nice. uh ronald slash roland which um which i'm probably going to get those confused but it's the same person we're talking yeah. about roland dodo who is ronald hunkler he uh he described their whole family as like kind of weird loners he noted that they had been lutheran and that they converted to catholicism without much explanation but they never discussed roland being possessed and they never used the term possession they just sort of would they there was this vague allusion to him being sick that they would talk yeah. about there's this group of three brothers, and this is the one of the, whom was uh, Ronald's best friend, gave interviews to Mark in 2000. The older brother, who was born in 1926 and identified as J.C., did not think that Roland was possessed. He saw a documentary about it, and he said, well, one of the things they tried to emphasize in this documentary was that they, he was spitting all the time. And according to J.C., he, uh, Roland and J.C.'s younger brother, who were the two best friends, he said, I noticed one of the common bonds between them. They found this very clever way of doing it. They could spit with great accuracy up to 10 feet. They'd keep their mouth closed and raise their lips and spit through their teeth. And they somehow developed a way to do that. So he said, I don't think he was ever possessed. I think it was psychological. You know, mm. there are some interesting psychological aspects. There were these German Lutherans. And as an only child, I think the, the grandmother is actually a central figure she played a very influential role. You, you, she had this old world superstitious background and the mother got caught up in it and the father was kind of not present. He was kind of in the background. So, you know, this idea that like these very religious people just got, you know, the, yeah. a teenager starts being kind of a shit and they're like, oh, Satan, I guess, you know, and, and kind of get carried away with it. Yeah. Um, 
BC, who was the best friend, described uh, Ronald as an uh, an only child who went through anything but a normal childhood, uh, smothered by his obsessively religious mother and grandmother who held deep interests in spiritualism and Ouija boards, shunned by his classmates at school, prone to tantrums and violent outbursts toward his family and friends, and exhibiting cruel behavior and even sometimes sadistic behavior toward other children and even animals. Um, Mm. B.C. frequently said in his interview what a, quote, mean bastard Ronald was. He also talked about a vicious stray dog that Ronald had basically adopted. And so Ronald would, like, call this kid B.C. to have him come over. And when he would get to the house, Ronald would open the back door and, like, sick the dog on him. The dog would chase B.C. He'd run back to his house. And then when he got back to his house, Ronald would call him and laugh about it. So he was like, you know, nasty kid, you know. I was starting to feel bad for him, and now I'm like, okay, maybe he was the problem. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And then this kid, BC, was supposedly there in school when the desk was shaking, and here's what he had to say about that. We were in eighth grade. It was the 48-49 school year, and we were in class together at Bladensburg Junior High. He was sitting in a chair, and it was one of those deals with one arm attached, and it looked like he was shaking the desk. The desk was shaking and vibrating extremely fast, and I remember the teacher yelling at him to stop it. And I remember he kind of yelled, I'm not doing it. And they took him out of class, and that was the last I ever saw of him in school. The desk certainly did not move around the room like that book, which is he's referring to this book called Possessed, said it was just shaken. So, um, yeah, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, Obsaznik later detailed in his 2007 book that I mentioned earlier that Hunkler had ended up having a long career as an engineer at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Uh, He was married and later divorced with one son and two daughters, and he died of a stroke on May 10th, 2020, just shy of his 86th birthday in Marriott'sville, Maryland, a few miles west of Baltimore. So Mm. R.I.P. Rip City. Yeah, I just yeah. So that's that's basically the stuff that I know about it. I have other thoughts about like the story and, and um, you know, why he made these changes. And I feel like it's worth mentioning that like, yeah, tell us them. What are your other thoughts? Well, so I, I feel like I read this somewhere, but I don't remember where, but basically like, you know, people are like, well, why did he, I wonder why he changed it from a boy to a girl, you know, what, yeah. why did he do that? And I had heard it kind of not super well explained in the past, but basically the idea that like, well, it would be way more scandalous for a girl to be saying these filthy things mm-hmm. than a boy because, you know, it's acceptable for boys to swear and be profane, but for girls, it's not. And so, you know, leaning into this like weird gender stereotype purity thing. But um, then I was just recently reading in this excellent book that I have nothing to do with, but think is worth a plug for anyone that's interested in this sort of thing. It's called It Came From the Closet. Queer Reflections on Horror, and it's by the Feminist Ooh. Press, just came out. It's got essays about different horror movies written by queer and trans authors. Um, and the first essay in the book is by S. Trimble, and they have so many interesting reads on this movie that, like, blew my mind. And I'm so glad I got to read it before talking about this. And and one of those things is kind of tying back to that, what I was talking about, and kind of the idea that, like, this book was a reaction to like all these radical movements in the 60s and so in the 70s all the adults were like clutching their pearls about like the nice white girls who had ended up in the Manson family and you know and like needing a return to american conservatism and patriarchal family values and like all of that coming to a head in the 80s with Reagan and you know like so how all of these things were happening at the same time and how you know that's that's kind of part of this too it's like the the worst thing you can think of is like 
there's this nice white girl and she doesn't have a dad and she's being raised by some Hollywood elite single mom and she needs a strong man like a priest to come in and get her life back on track. And it's like, yeah, it's, you know, so that's, you know, there's just some, some undertones in there that I think are worth mentioning. And, you know, I, I, like, I feel conflicted because I, I think it's a great film and like, obviously this iconic piece of like horror and it, it gives some like sort of national significance to like, the area that I grew up in with historically, which is interesting, but it's also like, I don't know, you know, like there's some not so great stuff about it. And then also as Trimble noted that it could be read as a metaphor for conversion therapy, which I think it's really interesting because you've got Reagan being drugged and strapped to a bed and these straight white men are trying to make her normal again, you know, like the same way that they pray over people in church to like pray the gay away. Um, So like kind of an interesting take on that. And like their um, essay is called, a demon girl's guide to life. And it's, it's just very interesting. So I highly, highly recommend that. I love that. I, I think it's actually one of the reasons that horror is my favorite genre is because I think it's a really great vehicle for like social commentary. Yeah. Whether really the director or writer means for it to be or not. Right. I think like in this case, the writer director probably did not mean for it to be about those things. But it's so interesting for like the yeah. subtext to be viewed that way or to ha- for have it to be like it's their it's their internal fears that are kind of being right. like represented on the screen or even now, you know, people like Jordan Peele who are doing it more like deliberately. But that's why I think horror is so interesting is because it's such a great way to like express our fears about society and what's going on or just like I don't know, I just I. Horror, I think, is like one of the most underrated yeah. and overlooked genres. Um, it doesn't get love... the it doesn't get the credit it deserves for the like um, uh, the layers. You know, I think depth, that yeah. people see it as something that's kind of just like um, you know uh, very base entertainment, yeah. Um, yeah. which is just wrong. Like, you know, I don't. I've never really been a horror fan, but recently I've gotten more into it and it's like way more than just being scared. You know what I mean? Or at least the best movies are, you know, like it, Totally, it's not just about like a jump scare, I guess. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are some that are like torture porn. Yeah. Um, for sure. Right. But yeah. But then there are others, you know, like especially some of the older ones, you know, like Rosemary's Baby or like yeah. some of the other that really give statements on like society and how right. underrepresented people are. You know, it, it's just really it's really great. And that book, um, it came from the closet, Queer Reflections on Horror by the Feminist Press. Definitely something that I'm going to get and that yeah. everyone else should get as well, because that's really, really interesting. And I know that Shudder. Um, if you have it, it's like the horror streaming service yeah, yeah, yeah. also has a really great documentary on black representation in horror, which is really cool um, as well. This was so great and so illuminating. Did you have anything else to share? I kind of just pushed us to the end for no reason. No, I mean, I, I, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I just yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. I. Yeah, I don't know. I, Rosie, did did you have any? I mean, we were both raised Catholic. And I feel like that gives us some kind of weird connection to all this because of the, just how weird that being raised in that religion can be. Um, you know, yeah. so I feel like 
Catholicism is so rife with um, like the ability to be turned into horror. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, and like, you know, maybe more than other religions, like Catholicism, although like you mentioned, Dan, like has like this kind of like um, architecture and design element that has also been commonly associated with, you know, like there's obviously religion and horror have a lot in common with the devil and all that. But I think that like the imagery of a Catholic church versus like Presbyterian or Lutheran where like, like I don't know if you've seen the memes about like the, a Catholic church is always like this gorgeous, like humongous, like well thought out plan designed stained glass windows. Like it truly is like a very beautiful place. Most Catholic churches are. And then like a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church is going to be like, in a parking lot next to the Walmart, like in a, and it's just like folding chairs essentially. Like, so I feel like the imagery is, is something that is definitely like, I don't know, something to recall, I guess. And then also I think that my aversion to horror maybe like kind of came from that because I was always so scared of, it all seemed a lot like very real like it was all so real like the idea of exorcism I was like oh well yeah like obviously they do that like that could happen to me real like they actually do that yeah Yeah. so it wasn't I was always like well let me avoid that and also because I was scared that like if I saw like the catholic idea of god is kind of tricky like he he like is gonna like screw you it's almost like a genie where if you make a wish they'll like try to make it happen in a way that's like horrific like oh I wish my son would come back to life like in the monkey's paw so I always had this idea that was like if I do something wrong or like if I like watch a movie that's gonna scare me like God is gonna make that happen to me you know so and also like I grew up as somebody with OCD so it kind of like all ties together in that way like not every Catholic is like me but um I think that I definitely like you know was like, well, I'm not going to watch The Exorcist because it's like, that's real life. Like, yeah, I was very yeah, much you're like, inviting that. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, no it's like way. The ring. Like, yeah. It ended up happening to you. Yeah. It actually leads into my question perfectly is like, I, I don't know about a lot about Catholicism, but like, how is mental illness um, accepted in Catholicism? Or is it straight like you're, you're exhibiting these behaviors? It's the devil. Like, right. I, I just don't know, like, what... Because I'm thinking, like, was Roland probably mentally ill and then they just assumed that he was possessed? You know, like, right. how is how is that accepted in Catholicism? Or is it just kind of looked over? I think I it depends like... on how hardcore you are. Right. Yeah. And I it's think probably back different then, now than then. Yeah, yeah. back then it was definitely... Right. Like back then they were basically still doing like Latin mass, you know, they were like, yeah, it's pre Vatican too. And yeah. So I think that, I mean, you know, I think that the general perspective is like, and Dan, you know, obviously if it's different for you, I'm sure it's not, (laughs) but I, yeah, I think the general perspective is just like, pray about it. Mm. If, and also like this idea that if you're mentally ill, God did it for a reason Right. Yeah. A lot of the time. But if it's but if it's really like if it's a severe like but that's like depression and anxiety. But if it's a mental illness that doesn't that presents in ways that are not more socially acceptable, like I think like schizophrenia or you know, um uh combative mental illnesses, that's gonna be seen as like you're possessed, maybe, or like 
you're a bad person because God says that you're a bad person or something like that. No, totally. Like you've, you've somehow done something in the wrong in the eyes of God and now you're being punished. Right. So I I think I mentioned this once on one of the call-in shows. I, I, I think I told a story that was like my, a ghost story kind of thing that my mom had told me growing up that had happened to her. And one of the things she said in that story, which like she would always say and, and feels like a very foundational part of like my childhood in Catholicism was that um, when she would see this little like demon at the foot of her bed, oh yeah, she would think to herself like, oh, only sinners are afraid. So if I'm afraid, that means I'm bad. Like you're just, con- that's like and I was telling my therapist about that recently. It's like, hmm, I wonder if you've internalized that. And I'm like, yeah, I think I might have. Like, yeah, think, that's you know, hardcore. Like, yeah, like, so no matter what you do, like, if you ever feel afraid. Yeah, fear is bad. It's fear like, oh, bad. you did fear something wrong. You deserve this. Like, you're, if it's happening to you, you deserve it. Like, that. that's, you know, like, that's how it works. It's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's so funny because fear is an innate emotion like it's a reaction like all animals get afraid we're animals like fight or flight is like our our reptilian brain and we just we learn to cope with it but it's our normal first instinct to be essentially afraid of everything that's unfamiliar you know it's not a deficit or, or a defect yeah yeah i hadn't actually heard that only sinners are afraid thing that's a really that's really like um Kind of like, like deep cut 70s, Catholicism. So yeah. yeah. Phased out. Maybe your parents didn't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't good, know. I think that them. my, well, the thing is, it's like my parents were very like pretty normal suburban Catholics, like not, you know, we went to church every week, but like if we missed it, it wasn't a big deal. You know, we prayed before dinner, but it wasn't, but it's, you know, my parents didn't push it that hard and I still turned out like this. So it's like, this religion is real intense. You mean like perfect. they. Well, thank you. But I mean, like, you know, very anxious about going to hell, like, you know, like, or purgatory, which doesn't seem much better. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, It's funny. And I want to preface this by because I know, like, every so often we'll get a review of like, (laughs) just someone getting offended by everyone gets offended by everything. But like, I, I love religion. I love God. Um, I think doctrine is where sometimes yeah. things can get punishing and ostracizing. I think to me, like, I, I pray every day. Like, to me, like, God is love, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, where it gets harmful is when, you know, these religions got, just get punishing and instill instill fear in people to the point that you're just like immobilized and you know just don't want to do anything in fear of like screwing up and ending up in hell Mm -hmm. because you're different from what they like refer to as the norm you know the baseline you know if we go by like what the bible says that jesus was actually about and like the things that the catholic church and Christianity in general claim to preach, you know, like love thy neighbor and, you know, treat everybody with respect and share what you have and to treat people who are different, you know, the disabled um, with the utmost kindness and empathy. Like those are the things that like are true values of mine. And I definitely think that like, you know, in a lot of ways, like I don't have um, like, I think that my parents, especially like wanted to instill those values in me and the mm-hmm. church in America at yeah. least is like seen as the place to do it. 
regardless of whether or not what the church is actually sharing with the people in the congregation actually goes along with those values. You know what I mean? Like on paper, it looks so good. And (laughs) on paper, I believe in it a thousand percent, you know, like loving your neighbor is like the most important thing to me, but it gets kind of drowned out by, you know, like you said, like the doctrine and then like the people that are in charge of the Catholic Church. And like, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but I think and that we can all... like my parents who take it too far. You know what right. I mean? Like, there's just... Yeah. People just yeah. take it too far. Or that far documentary, and... if you've ever seen it, Jesus Camp, which oh, is one yeah. of the yes. scariest documentaries I've ever seen about a kid's... Ca- a kid's... I don't think even think it's Catholic. It might just be a kid's No, they were, they were like one of the um, like Southern megachurch kind of yeah. deals. Yeah. <laughs> And they like burn Harry Potter books and mm-hmm. there's a lecture about how Harry Potter's the devil. Well, I mean, now Harry Potter, <laughs> listen, JK Rowling isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I get it. Now we can all burn her That's books. Right. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> common ground. Yeah. yeah Back um, then it was for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. This was, this was pre her being uh, <laughs> controversial um, or wrong, but uh, yeah, it's just like, it, it's a really intense documentary about, instilling fear yeah uh how they they associate kind of like god with fear Mm -hmm. anyway this was like an incredible and illuminate illuminating conversation i loved how it started off with like the story of the exorcist and then just was like shooting the shit about religion and stuff that was so cool bong ripping over here you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what i'm gonna do when we hang up (laughs) (laughs) um i'm gonna eat food i'm so hungry dan if people want to reach you or if you want to be reached or viewed or anything like that where can people do that yeah give uh give ghoul talk podcast to google i think our url is like anchor.fm forward slash ghoul talk or something but it's probably not so Dot if you horse. just look it up yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah so yeah check it out if you feel like it we just talk about ghost stories and supernatural stuff and sometimes review horror movies and things like that but it's it's good stuff um, yeah. Oh, thanks. It's me. excellent content. And it's more of that smooth, butter voice. And Rosie, uh, what about you? Where can people reach you, see you if you want to be reached or seen? That's hilarious. I love to be reached and seen. Um, <laughs> my Instagram is feelings stores, like multiple oh stores where you buy your feelings. And my oh, Twitter yeah. is the same thing. Um, Amazing. But That's good branding. You thank know you. Handles, you're ready to tell them. It's an animal yeah, collective lyric. Oh, is it? Yeah, from the song Banshee Beat. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. This was so amazing. You guys are huge in the Discord, huge in our hearts. Uh, and we I feel so lucky for you guys that you guys came on today. Thanks for having me. I feel lucky to have been, you know, kind of tacked onto this. I'm so grateful to both of you. Yeah. It was I had a blast. gift to me. Um, anyways, this is Allie, Dan, and Rosie. None of us are possessed. Pazuzu is innocent. Signing off. Goodbye. An Elio's original. Powered by ACAST. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 